Hello, everyone. Welcome to the CYDC podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Mike. And I'm Arushi. And welcome to our bonus mini-sode this week. And as you might have seen from the title, today's mini-sode is on universal design. So just a disclaimer, uh, this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. And uh, in fact, I wrote my undergraduate thesis on playground accessibility in hopes that future playgrounds will follow a universal and inclusive design. And so given that my background is in accessibility, there are some references that I will add in terms of universal design for playgrounds, because um, that's something that I'm well versed in. But there are other areas which I'll talk about um, where universal design can apply, and that's in areas like education. So, um, yeah, I'm, this is a topic I am I'm stoked to talk about. All right, so I will kick it off with what is universal design. And universal design actually originated back in the 1980s by someone named Ronald Mace, an architect whose approach was to build barrier-free buildings for people with disabilities. So this is a, actually a fact that I learned while researching this to, um, for this episode. And the definition of universal design is the design of products and environments to be usable by all people to the greatest extent possible without the need for adaptation or specialized design. So for an example, we can think of automatic sliding doors as a universal design, because it not only benefits people with mobility devices like wheelchairs, but also those pushing a stroller, maybe delivery person carrying boxes, and those who just might have difficulty opening a door. So you can see how this one design actually impacts and can benefit a wide range of abilities. In 1997, Mace and colleagues developed seven principles of universal design that include equitable use, flexibility in use, simple intuitive use, perceptible information, tolerance for error, low physical effort, and size and space for approach and use. So essentially suitable size and space. And the important things to take away from these seven principles is that the design must not disadvantage certain groups, must accommodate a wide range of abilities, is easy to understand, and can be used efficiently and comfortably. And so as a small thought experiment that I'd like to bring up to people is to think about whether your local playground fits these seven principles. So do they disadvantage certain groups and or do they accommodate a wide range of abilities? And similarly, did your classroom disadvantage some people or accommodate a wide range of abilities? So this kind of thought process and reflection is actually what led me towards my thesis, because I really thought about the playgrounds that I used as a kid. And I was like, you know, if I was a child with a certain disability, would I have been able to use this playground with my peers, with my friends? Um, and that kind of realization that the answer was no, really kind of pushed me to be passionate about kind of um, looking for ways that playgrounds can be improved so yeah as you asked that question I live right across from a park and it's like as soon as you mentioned I don't know if you saw I kind of shook my head because it it doesn't fit into I think like really any of the seven cat maybe like simple intuitive use for kids but like it's not um doesn't support all types of kiddos by any by any means like I'm just thinking about every single aspect of the design and it's I think the word inconvenient just comes to mind. Like it doesn't accommodate a wide range of kiddos at all by any means. That's not good. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's a really good question that you posed. 
um because i think a lot of people don't really look at their local playgrounds and spaces in that lens so it's it's definitely important too for sure yeah and uh, like i said that's just kind of the thought process that led me towards realizing there was an issue and then um kind of pursuing that um and kind of my favorite part about my thesis was actually like emailing the mayor of each city um and kind of presenting my findings to um developers within the oh. city just to kind of say like yeah i kind of felt bad having this thesis sitting around and not really doing anything so i was like what can i do with this thesis that might actually have an impact on my community mm -hmm. so um that was cool too because it kind of that reflection even further i was like you know um it'd be nice to try to instill some change so that all kiddos can benefit from play and from the play spaces. Absolutely, so. yeah. And so under the umbrella of universal design, it's also important to discuss the similarities and differences between universal design, accessibility, and inclusion. So inclusion is very similar to universal design in the sense that it strives to create an environment that fits the child or the person, regardless of their abilities, rather than expecting the person to fit within the environment. So in my work with playground accessibility, I often used inclusive design and universal design interchangeably, as both of them focus on creating an environment suitable for people regardless of ability. In this sense, I like to think of inclusion as someone being able to use the entire space equally with their peers. On the other hand, accessibility, simply put, is the ability to access a space. It might sound like an obvious definition, but it differs from inclusion and universal design because a space can be accessible, but not inclusive. So for example, if we turn our attention to playgrounds, there were many playgrounds within my thesis that had a ramp that led to nothing or led to inaccessible equipment, while also having inaccessible surfaces like stones or sand or even wood chips. And in this case, the playground was technically accessible because of the ramp, so the child either in a wheelchair or with a mobility impairment would be able to access the playground, but it wasn't inclusive because a person with a mobility impairment wouldn't be able to use the playground fully. And it's and that's only really considering the physical barriers. That's only a, one example of a barrier on a playground. And similarly, this is a discussion that we had in a lecture in my undergrad is, you know, our lecture halls were technically accessible for those who had mobility devices but they weren't inclusive because there were only two options. So you could either sit at the far back of the lecture hall where it may be difficult to hear, and you also have to take into consideration any hearing impairments in that situation as well, or they had bad lighting. And the other option was to sit directly at the front of the class, which can be fairly uncomfortable and anxiety producing. And so you can kind of see the issues here in terms of, yes, the lecture hall was accessible, but it wasn't really inclusive because you can only choose between these two options that might pose additional challenges as well. So in sum, just kind of summarize all of that, accessible spaces can still provide various barriers for people. And this is why I believe we need to move beyond accessibility into, into inclusive approaches so that we have spaces where people, regardless of their ability or differences, can equally benefit from everyday activities. And so now I will turn my attention to universal design in education. And universal design in education means designing classes in a way that accounts for various learning styles. And this starts really with the course design. 
While universal design and education reduces barriers, it isn't a replacement for specific accommodations for students with disabilities, but rather an approach that will benefit all students. An example of this is using visual aids with, within our pre oral presentations for students who are hard of hearing, have processing challenges, and those who might have a different main language. And there are three types of universal design frameworks within education. The first one is Universal Design for Learning, or otherwise known as UDL, which began with the goal of using technology to enhance education for students with disabilities. So UDL has several guidelines, which include motivating students, commuting the, communicating the course content in various formats, and using various types of assessments rather than just being tested. Some examples of this could include assignment options, like maybe recording a podcast, or a presentation instead of writing a paper. It could also include having flexible workspaces, text-to-speech accommodations, and digital reading options. And so the next principle or next framework in universal design for education is universal, universal instructional design, otherwise known as UID, which promotes inclusiveness and equity by creating principles for instruction. These include instruction that is accessible and fair, straightforward and consistent, flexible in presentation, explicitly presented, supportive of the learning environment, it minimizes physical efforts, and creates a learning space that accommodates both students and instructional methods. And so the last framework, which might be, sound confusing, is universal design for instruction, otherwise known as UDI. And so it's very similar to universal oh my gosh not universal universal instructional design so it's very similar to the one we just spoke about but it adds two components so it adds interaction and communication between students and instructor and a welcoming and inclusive classroom environment so uid and udi are very very similar but udi adds those two extra kind of components to universal instruction and so I know you might be wondering why is universal, universal design important? So universal design in education, otherwise known as inclusive instruction, is important because there is not really an average learner or a one size fits all approach to learning. Instead, we have to consider that students come into their classrooms with unique and diverse backgrounds, experiences and abilities, which all impacts how they learn. And in my opinion, just because a student learns differently, it doesn't mean they are less smart than their peers. In fact, they are just as intelligent. Um, and I can speak from experiences of working with kids with learning disabilities who have various abilities and various different ways of learning that benefit them. And they are as intelligent or more intelligent than, um, than any other kid that I've worked with. So there isn't really much difference of intelligence, just a difference in learning style. And so as educators, it's really important to ask how we will create an environment that fits all students and allows all students to excel, rather than expecting students to fit this one-size-fits-all approach to education. Because while a one-size-fits-all approach might be useful for some students to do well, it creates barriers for other students, which is kind of one of the biggest issues. So um, even having options within a classroom kind of like uh, we did with one of our courses where we were given the option to choose a, a format uh, or an assignment format. That is kind of a universal design approach where um, 
kids can choose for themselves which assignment or which way of learning would suit their needs the best so like if i can jump in i think something that comes to mind like is the i think it's a ted talk that we had to watch once not had to our our supervisor shared it with us um and i think it was called the myth of average um and you you kind of touched on that here by mentioning that there's not really an average learner and i think for me seeing that was really eye-opening because I think a lot of people's conversations rely on, oh, well, the average kiddo or the average learner does this or the average student responds to this, but there really is no average when you take into account the wide range of learning styles and learning abilities in all types of kiddos. Um, so really recommend the um, that TED Talk, The Myth of Average, um, if you'd like to learn more about that. And yeah, in terms of that myth of average or looking at a one-size-fits-all approach to learning, when we create that average or like a model that kids should aspire to or mm -hmm. be kind of work towards in terms of learning, what it can do is it can stigmatize kids who are outside of that norm and that yeah. fall outside of that range. And I think the way that our schools are actually set up are a little bit prehistoric in that sense mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, we're still focusing on testing and relying on writing exams or essays and not really testing knowledge or really application of that knowledge but sometimes we're testing like how well can that kiddo memorize yeah. what they've learned rather than apply what they've learned and that's the one thing while I was actually doing research for this topic I reflected on my experiences in my undergrad mm -hmm. and I had a couple classes where we had open book exams um or even kind of open book tests and i know people are like what school did you go to but um yeah it it was the reason why they had these open book exams is because there was so much content that we had to memorize and they didn't really care whether we could like memorize every concept and every definition yeah. they really wanted to know how we could apply those concepts to a certain situation to a case mm -hmm. study um, and so I think that learning was even more important for me. Obviously, there was still work that had to be done to make sure you knew where everything was in your notes and kind of do some organizational stuff because they really organized the exams where you had to do work ahead of time so that you can complete it on time. But it was super helpful to know that I didn't have to memorize, you know, a whole eight months worth of content for this final exam. Yeah. Um, and it, it also kind of eliminates some barriers in that sense. So um, that was a great experience for me in my undergrad, just having that experience, because it was the first time ever that I was like, someone was like, hey, yeah, you can bring in any of your notes to this exam. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, count me count me in for that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, right? So, yeah. um, but no, in all seriousness, like those sorts of universal design approaches and kind of shifting the way that we approach assessing people and testing people is super important because um, I, I think it could help people learn better and mm -hmm. it can also benefit all people, right? Not just, exactly. not just certain individuals. So. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and I think that's the overall point here. Universal design is for all. It's not for one type of person. It's universe. It's quite literally in the name. It's a universal design for everybody. So definitely. Yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast, one takeaway that I want our listeners to have is the next time that you go to a playground or you see a playground in your neighborhood, ask yourself whether it's inclusive 
or even mm -hmm. whether it's accessible. I know we kind of said accessibility can have some barriers, but yeah. you know, ask yourself, is this playground inclusive? Is it accessible? And if it's not, I mean, that's a, I, I don't know exactly how much you can feel like you can do, but um, you know, um, that's just something to reflect on. I know once I did my thesis, I could never ever look at a playground the same because I'm current, I'm con like continuously analyzing and critiquing playgrounds in my brain, and I'm like, that's not inclusive, that's really inaccessible, um, and so just that reflection is is super important, I think. So yeah, it sparks a lot of good conversation. So for sure, thanks, Mike. And I think that wraps it up for today's episode. So as always, we would like to thank Dr. King, Dr. Colin King for giving us this opportunity to record the podcast. And as always, you can find the links and resources um, from the show in the description below. So a lot of this information that I got was from University of Waterloo. Um, and I will just directly put that in the links instead of having a um, Google Docs uh, resources list. So awesome. yeah. Thanks Thank you, everyone. For, yeah, thanks for everyone <laughs> for listening, and I hope you have a great day.